the squadron. They called him Bullets, but we call him Greg Kelly. Greg Kelly is on the air on the Red Apple Podcast Network. No Greg Kelly today, uh, substituting uh, Anthony Weenie, yours truly, Curtis Sliwa, as we take you uh, for the next two hours. Uh, not a retrospective, but on uh, dealing with the here and now. You know, a lot of people, Anthony, what they like to do this time of year is they say, oh, these are the biggest ten stories of the past year. Bull feathers, get out of here. That's such lazy radio. There's so much that's happening now. Why wouldn't you just talk about the here and now? But it requires doing some research. It requires being prepared, talking about things that happened over the past year. You'll probably do that in your sleep. So we welcome you on board for the next two hours. Anthony, welcome you on board. You're best known at our mothership station, WABC, from being the voice, the true voice of the Democratic side of the issue that oftentimes does not get heard on talk radio no matter where it is. So feel free to flex. First off, um, let me just say you are one of the proud graduates uh, that I've had in my uh, Curtis Lewa boot camp of talk radio. Yeah. Having done this for 35 years in good times and bad times, I've sort of finally learned uh, exactly what it takes to be a good talk show host. And uh, you are a proud graduate having gone through it for the past year, Dominic Carter. Uh, Andrew Giuliani is now uh, in his first uh, weeks uh, of the boot camp. And unfortunately, I've had to re-enroll Frank to Mama Luke Morano into it for remedial courses. He's had a uh, little bit of slippage. You know, he's uh, sort of slipped back into some old bad habits. You know, I've been listening, you know, and, and on a, on the mothership station here in New York, you and Andrew were doing the show that has been image has been branded as ACDC. Now... I know some people know ACDC as the seminal hard rock band. Great band. I know some people know it from its physics meaning. We had a conversation, and maybe we'll have one again, about electric vehicles. But I am surprised, Curtis, that you have not let Andrew Giuliani in on the other, let's call it colloquial meaning, of ACDC. I can't do that because then he it would destroy the open that our... Uh, uh, our uh, imager, uh, Chris Libertine, has made for the show. I know, but I want to point out that one of the iconic moments in his father's administration was when he appeared on stage to participate in a uh, a play on the play, Hello, Dolly, dressed in a full-out, not just some heels and a wig, a full-out outfit that could lead people in this moment in our cultural life to say he was paying homage to the trans community. And now you and Andrew are doing a show winking at us all, I'm sure, called ACDC. Uh, that's pretty edgy for AM radio, don't you think? I don't think Andrew knows the meaning as I know the meeting. But remember, first it was Ed Koch, the mayor, who uh, dressed uh, as if he was in a cajo full. Then there was Rudy Giuliani, his many appearances. Uh, but I must tell you, he was ahead of his time. Before there was RuPaul, before there was Drag Race, before there was transgenders doing uh, uh, Christmas uh, sort of, uh, what can we call it, Christmas stories to the kids in your nearby library. 
It was Rudy on Saturday Night Live. But but and then to make it even crazier, you know, I am a voracious consumer of of radio. Love listening to you. It has been, and I'm t- by the way, this is the you know you're doing a lot. Of, uh, you're doing a marathon that even for you is a. But I am doing a little version. I did the one to five a.m. this morning. Took a quick cat nap. I say that with all deference to you and Nancy, who just did an excellent show. I'm a little surprised that James Flippin didn't explain. I don't want to get too deep in the weeds here about the different personalities, but how come nobody said, "Whoa, ACDC, we are an AM radio station no, here"? No, 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 no. It was cutting edge, and I wanted I wanted it to marinate into Andrew Giuliani okay. first. Okay, fair enough. Eventually, fair people enough. are going to be saying, "Do you know what Curtis Sliwa bamboozled you into saying?" Has nothing to do with the land down under the Australian band. Has nothing to do with oh, always uh, cranky Curtis Sliwa in D.C. because he served in the Trump administration for four years, and if Trump gets reelected, he might serve another four yep, years. Yep. No, no, that's the true meaning. Let's keep that. That's our secret here, right? Because right. eventually Fair he's going to find out. Fair enough. Eventually he's going to find out. But now, what I must pose to you. Is what uh, Mayor has just said moments ago, James Flippin, our news guy, was able to uh, get us. He was able to slice it and dice us for it because the mayor only gives a press conference once a week in which he takes off-topic questions. So that's it. Today is all you get for the rest of the week. I wonder if it's a major emergency and it's happening. He's got to take off-topic questions. I can't imagine that. No, you will save this for, for next Tuesday. But this is what he had to say. Lucky us that he's the mayor now in the midst of our crisis involving migrants. The federal government must stop this because, you know, there's a lot of people on the sideline that talk about this issue. Trust me, they don't want to be in the seat right now. A lot of people saying, you know, all their ideas, what they would do and how they would fix this. They don't want to be here. <laughs> they are hoping that Eric can fix this and this team can get this done. No one wants this problem. You know, when I was in Washington, the people said to me that met me there, they said, I, I thank God I'm not you, Eric. <laughs> Your response, Anthony. You know, <laughs> first of all, the list of people that, that would want to have this problem and want to have that job is getting longer every day. <laughs> I tell you, uh, I mean, the the the... The the guy who who panhandles outside my apartment, he's like, he'll take the job at this point. Hey, all kidding aside, you know, I ran for mayor, as you know, in 2005. I ran again in 2013. I didn't win. But as part of that process, I read a lot of biographies and autobiographies of past mayors. And it is true for any executive. The one thing you hope for is a crisis on your watch to show you've got the chops to run the city. And – not only are people saying, I'm glad I don't have this problem, but a lot of people are, I think, not just chirping from the sidelines, but are offering, you know, real ideas. I mean, this is, I'm going to say, the fifth different posture he's had about this crisis. First, it was no problem, bring it on. Then it was, wait a minute, you mean it's not 50 people, it's 500 people? Is it? Then it's yelling at people at town hall meetings about how we can never solve this problem. Then it's telling people you citizens have to go lobby in Washington, and now it's uh, I'm, you're glad I'm here because you don't want the job. This is my overall problem with Eric Adams. Putting aside the substance of how he's dealt with the problem, the messaging and how he talks about it 
is too much about him and not enough about how we're going to deal with this challenge. And also the one thing every executive should have, and I think that I would have had it if I were mayor, but this would have been a tough problem for me. This is going to be a tough problem for you if you get elected, is this balance of saying, we got this. This is what you hired me to do. I'm going to try to solve this problem. Critique me all you want. Ask me all the questions you want. But I'm going to go about the business of trying to solve this problem. And I never get that from Eric Adams. But the idea that no one – Eric, call me because if you need a break for uh, for six months or so and you need someone to take over, this is the job I always wanted. I think I do a good job at it. And even in this tough moment, I think I would I do a better job. I, and I concur with that. I've known you for many, many years, Anthony. Agreed with you at times, disagreed you at times, uh, but I know the basis of your political upbringing. Uh, I know how committed you were to becoming mayor, how detail-oriented you had already created plans and plans. This is not, Eric Adams does not do that. He flies by the seat of his pants. It's obvious. That, that's why I called him. I, I labeled him Eric Adams, swagger man with no plan. It's never a plan that he follows through on. So I would concur, you, but there are also others. Andrew Cuomo is openly lobbying for the job if Eric has to step aside. He had a second meeting with Andrew Stein, who used to be a Democrat, but has been more more recently a cheerleader for Trump, now for Nikki Haley. Richard Weinberg is a stronger Democrat than Andy Stein. Exactly. <laughs> but it's clear Andrew Cuomo is saying, hey, if, if he has to leave the job, I'm here. Uh, a guy, Scott, uh, Scott Stringer, former borough president, was a mayoral candidate, uh, had to leave the race. Uh, he's, he's already polling. Brad Lander, the controller, would like to. Uh, Jumani, well, there's so many, as you mentioned, so many people. But for him to say that, instead of, like you said, using that, that quality time to say, well, this is what we're going to do next. Now, for instance, his latest, uh, idea that he, uh, spoke about, and he never follows up on it. All of you people should go to Washington, D.C. and have a demonstration or a rally or lobby elected officials. Now, you would have thought, okay, the next step is you're actually going to try to get that done through the reverence that you know, through your political context, put together a bus convoy. Right. May not be a lot of people at first. Maybe you could get uh, 10,000 from New York, uh, 2,000 from Chicago, 1,000 from Denver, but you begin the process. He's taking no steps to do that. He's basically, this is what you people should be doing. But And to put that in context for people who are not from New York, he said that to a citizen who stood up at a town hall meeting and complained about budget cuts, like was asking the mayor, who works for all of us, what are you going to do about this problem? And the mayor said to the citizen, when was the last time you went to Washington to lobby? If that was what, if that's what we wanted, the, the whole idea you wanted this job, look, it's hard. And I think to some degree you've glossed over how hard it is. And I'm not saying that, that this is the kind of thing that someone snaps their fingers and solves. But the the very idea that the mayor, instead of focusing on what he's trying to do, how he's trying to get it done, et cetera. But I think you're right. If he really thinks that it would help. Now, I would take buses and go to our Republican members of Congress and protest. But that's a difference. It's a strategy. But that, that's one idea. Well, right. But at least then it's following through and showing leadership. When you say to someone else, you go do it, that's the opposite of leadership. When you say someone, you don't want this job, that's the opposite of leadership. Leadership is going out and doing the thing, even when it's hard, and this is a hard moment. I kind of get the feeling sometimes, maybe you disagree with this, Curtis. He liked the idea of being mayor, 
but never quite thought through what it would be like if stuff hit the fan, right? And so when he was asked that question uh, a couple of weeks ago, what is one word that describes New York City? He put it in the terms of, well, someone could fly a plane into a building at any time because he probably views that like something bad could happen to me, the mayor, rather than I want to be mayor because here are the things I want to do and here's the way I'm going to show it every day. I kind of think that he kind of – you say swagger man with no plan. Okay, I get it. But it, this notion of not really having a plan, it reminds me of that of that um, Mike Tyson line, everyone has a plan until you get punched in the nose yes, or whatever it is. Yes, yes. That's, the, that's what, what unfortunately Eric Adams communicates when he says things like he said today. Well, uh, I look at the mayor now. It will be two years come January 1st when he was sworn into office, remember, on the top – of the uh, Times uh, Square building, welcoming in the new year, and then did the formal uh, swearing in, I think, the next morning. But it's it has to be a situation now after two years. You've had enough experiences. It's a perfect time to sit back and say, do I continue on? Because he likes to say, I have a team. I depend on this team. But if you were the mayor at this point, and let's say you had inherited the same uh, series of problems, uh, because you would have been a better mayor than Bill de Blasio at that time. You were ahead of the polls. You would have, you would have beaten him in the primary and others. What would you do now? Would you realign the administration? What direction would you take, knowing that there are many more migrants well, that are I, flooding I, into I, our I, I have an answer for that, but let's do it after the break. It's going to take me a minute. Traffic jams, tailgating, pileups. Ugh, the joys of driving. How could it get worse? The federal government wants to have a say in what you drive. That's right. The Biden administration's EPA is pushing mandates that would ban two out of every three vehicles on the road today. Don't let Washington become your backseat driver. Protect the freedom of driving your way. Visit energycitizens.org. Paid for by the American Petroleum Institute. Greg Kelly, Greg Kelly on the Red Apple Podcast Network. Now, you know, Anthony Weiner, it is amazing that when you were in Congress, when you were running for mayor, you were considered a liberal progressive. Now you'd have to move over to the middle and be considered a moderate Democrat because of all the Democratic socialists uh, who are um, in the Democratic Party who are in sitting office. Did you, by the way, before you move off that, did you see um, what that guy John Fetterman said? This guy Fetterman, he ran. He was a Bernie Sanders delegate. He was a he's a progressive guy. If you look at his Wikipedia page, it's he's in favor of a higher minimum wage, legalizing marijuana, anti death penalty. He had the audacity to come out in, in support of Israel and her right to defend herself, and to say that we need common sense reform in immigration, and the left is like. Actually, you know, uh, um, um, Fetterman is dead to me was trending on Twitter because these lefties had said he's not one of us. And he finally said, like, look, what is it? What do you have to be? How pure do you have to be to be this? But you're right. In today's Democratic Party, I've always been hawkish on Israel, always been tough on crime. But I was like the single payer health care guy. I think I would probably be called too conservative for my old district, even though my old district is pretty heavily Jewish. I probably still do OK there. But it, it really is true. Politics and and I left politics only ten years ago. It's not like it's fifty years ago. But no, you you would be considered now a moderate Democrat. Very certainly, you'd be in the same lane as Eric Adams. 
as opposed to the many socialists now who are in elective office. So imagine you take up the mayor on his offer and you get to sit as mayor, which you had been qualified to do in your many uh, attempts at running. What would you do differently? He's got a chance now after two years. If he's had people assisting him, he, he could cycle them out. What does he have to do? Because if he just continues to do the same old, same old, I can't imagine the polls improving, and I can't imagine our city improving. Well, let's put aside the polls for a moment, because I think the polls will improve if he does a better job. Here we are. We're at, is it the midway point of his can't? No. It's, it's, yeah, January 1st is the midway point. I would do a couple of things. One, I'd fire some people. I mean, I would say, look, whoever is giving him advice on the public relations side has not been doing a, t- a very good job. But on the substantive side as well, the, 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 the idea of what is, what is our plan here going forward, we're going to have this problem, maybe not forever, but we're going to have this problem for, for a while. Secondly, I would say everyone at City Hall, everyone who has an office at City Hall, if you come in for a day or you come in for a week, you're going to take a 20% tax cut and a tax cut, a, 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 a cut to your salary. And I, as the mayor, I'm going to take a 50% salary cut. Not because it's going to save that much money, but to say, hey, this is how serious this problem is. And this is what I'm, I'm, I'm doing. But the third, the thing that I would do on the substantive side is, you know, he has this vague sense of, oh, Washington is letting us down. I would like to see the three specific things that he would like to see. Democrats, Republicans, executive, Congress people to represent that he specifically thinks that we should do. Not here's the money I want, because you know the problem with that is every city wants money. The problem is the specific things that we should. For example, if I were he, I would say the Congress should hire 500 administrative officers to handle asylum cases at the border. Do it tomorrow. I would have something concrete like that that he's advocating for, that he can go knock on people's doors about. That's what's been Well, lacking. when we come back, uh, as mayor, the mayor that he says nobody wants to be, uh, what would you do about the demonstration days yours? Every day the pro-Palestinian demonstrators are out in the streets. They seem to be getting more aggressive. They interfered with people caroling in Washington Square Park, people that were in uh, Rockefeller Center yesterday. Okay, Mr. Mayor, tell us... What you would do. Greg Kelly, Greg Kelly on the Red Apple Podcast Network. Not a break in the action, Anthony Weiner. Every day, somewhere in the city, from the river to the sea, the demonstrators get together, the pro Palestinian demonstrators. And they basically then begin to craft a route that they're going to take that takes them generally all throughout uh, Manhattan, but sometimes parts of Brooklyn. They generally have stayed out of Queens. But every other city also, right? It's basically all around the country. This right, but on. I think it's been more organized here in New York City because it's every day. It's every day. Even they, they didn't take time off for Christmas. They didn't take time off for Christmas Eve. Uh, they were out there outside of the Midnight Mass near St. Patrick's Cathedral. They were there at Rockefeller Center yesterday. They were in uh, Washington Square Park when the carolers show up every year right before Christmas Eve. They sing Christmas carols. So they have a route. And when I've talked to police uh, who get assigned uh, from uh, the strategic uh, rapid, they have a new, uh, new acronym for the group, they say, yeah, we show up and we just tail them. 
Uh, I say they have a planned route. You know, do they do they tell you where they're going? No, no. We just we're told follow them, make sure nothing gets out of hand. And I'm saying to myself, if uh, you were the mayor at this point, knowing that every day you're facing a major demonstration somewhere in Manhattan, how do you deal with it? Because right now they seem to be able to go wherever they want, whenever they want, and almost do whatever they want. Yeah, it's because they have a right to. The people have a right to protest. Someone wants to gather out here, protest Wiener and Sliwa on the radio. They're allowed to do it. That's, this is New York. People are always, this is the media capital of the world. This is the capital capital of the world. People are going to have protests. And, and, and they don't have to register to have a protest. They don't have to have a route. They can just go up and protest. That's the, now, they're idiots. They're hurting their cause. They're saying things that are wrong. They're saying, you know, there's always a handful of them at least that are anti-Semitic, and 90% of them don't have any idea what they're talking about, and I could not agree with them any any less than I do. However, they have every right. So every right to block traffic, to go up and down 6th Avenue or 5th Avenue or major thoroughfares, they, they take up the whole street. There's- yeah, you're kind of allowed to gather in as large numbers as you want in America. You are, you are allowed to gather on, uh, and, and shut down a whole town in Massachusetts in the 1700s and throw tea off the side. Yes, we don't like it all the time and we don't like what they say and I think they hurt their cause, but we have protests every day of the week around here. And these guys, they're the protest du jour. I think they're hurting themselves. I think most of the time they're protesting in ways that take perhaps allies of them and making them into enemies. But this is New York. And when you're mayor, you're going to realize you can't just arrest them for, for, for protesting. Now, can you, can you harm someone? No. Can you, can you light a car on fire? No. Can you jump on a car? No. When a police officer tells you to move, can you not move? No, he can't do any of those things, and those people should well, get some assistance. Well, question. What they're doing now is really not a demonstration. It's a parade because it starts in one location and it goes in all different directions. Uh, a parade has a set route. You get your parade permit. You go up Fifth Avenue. You begin in a location. You end in a location. What they're doing is uh, they're going beyond the definition of anything you're permitted to do. That's not have- – which part? Well, you mean, you mean to tell me they can block a street? No, if you're violating a traffic code, you're not. But if you have 500 people and you're spilling out into the sidewalk and you're going to arrest them for having the 500 people, look, the fact is you have an un, almost an unconditional right of speech so long as your speech doesn't break other laws. As far as the moving, cops will tell you they don't want a protest staying in one place they want it to move they want energy to go somewhere less opportunity for people to throw punches well i less- disagree with you i disagree well first off we have the horse unit there's 80 horses that have been trained to deal with crowd control we spent a lot of money maintaining grooming the horses teaching them to do crowd control at the police academy you never see them out there how come I don't know. Look, I don't I don't know. I do know that there were lawsuits against the NYPD. I think it was in the George Floyd protests where they got in trouble for what they call kettling. Is that right, Curtis? Yeah. Kettling people in, even people who were not participating in protests. And we wind up you and me with our taxpayer dollars paid those people because it violated their right of assembly. It's also because uh, the mayor now, Eric Adams, decided to settle the court case, a consent decree in which they gave money to people who had participated in the Black Lives Matter protests, 
and they promised uh, a no-hands-on approach, a series of things that they could have fought in court. They just decided to settle early. Okay, so that's the demonstrations. Now what do you do on the campuses of both the city university system, which obviously is a public system, the private uh, entities like a Columbia and NYU and others, which seems to have become a breeding ground for open anti-Semitism. It's, it's a tougher case, but it's a similar case. Look, it, it, you have, if you're going to say stupid political things, college campuses is where you should be able to say them. I don't think people should be canceled when they're saying conservative things, liberal things. Now, the difference is that if someone is, is intimidating someone else or someone is – Look, it's a very difficult call because, you know, remember, we heard from your friends on the right all these complaints. Oh, you're trying to cancel us, canceling speakers because they're coming on and espousing conservative views or conser- or views that you don't like. And now we're trying to say on the other side, people are saying things that are maybe anti-Semitic, and they are. And I think that th- I think that they're wrong. The problem is if you're running a college campus, where else can you say stupid things? That's what college campuses are kind of – now, unlike the street, though, there's no First Amendment. So if if the president of the college wants to say, here are the rules of what you can and can't say here on campus, you're allowed to do that. All right, but let's take it to the public high school system. Many times there have been walkouts, there have been demonstrations, there have been marches in solidarity with the Palestinian peoples, and this open anti-Semitism that's coming from some of these students – uh, what does the public school system get used to do? Does it present both points of view? Does it try to uh, openly attack those statements that are clearly anti-Semitic? It's a big, it's the biggest public school system in the country, but it also has a lot of students there who represent both points of view. It's a lot. Well, I don't believe there's another side of anti-Semitism or Islamophobia. I don't believe, I believe that there is a difference, but, a lot of you and I have talked about this before. I would say 90% of the people that are out there protesting are protesting this vague sense of peace. Everyone wants peace. Everyone, like, this is what young people do. They protest for peace. Things, when they say things like the river for the sea, I doubt with a gun to their head they can tell you what the sit, what river and what sea they're talking about. I, I bet if I gave them a million dollar check to tell me what the Oslo Accords were, to tell me what the partition plan was, or others think they could not do it. But put those, those people aside. The problem is you do have people who are now going into places that, I, that, that are protesting at, Hanukkah, at menorah lightings. That's anti-Semitism. That are protesting at Israeli food restaurants. That's anti-Semitism. The idea of like someone selling a bagel and, and getting, get, having someone harassing them on the way in, that's just anti-Semitism. In our school system, we have 1.1 million kids in our school system here in New York. I don't know what the answer is if we're going to start – if we're going to see – I mean, my mom was a school teacher for 30-something years. She was known as kind of a disciplinary, and probably she wouldn't be able to survive in today's school system because she was tough on kids. But I don't know what the answer is. Do we want to give teachers the job of saying or weeding out the kids who are saying things that are anti-Semitic? I don't know the answer well, to that Well, let me one. give you an example because obviously I was birthed into this world a lot uh, earlier than you. When I went to Bildersee Junior High School, it was uh, during the 67-day uh, war, 1967 war in Israel. I had, a um, uh, at that time, a social studies teacher named Mr. Lerner, who was actually a registered conservative party member, as rare as that was then, right. who uh, 
uh, actually brought in the TV. Remember from the AV squad, That's and they right. showed black and white yeah. uh, Israeli defense forces battling with like Syria at the time in Egypt tank tank brigades, and he couldn't have been any more of a Zionist. Now, predominant number of kids in the class, uh, you know, were uh, Jewish. So it, it wasn't something foreign to them to hear that because it was coming from their households. But then I went to high school, briefly at Canarsie High School, after they kicked me out of Brooklyn Prep, and I had a teacher named Mr. Chernoff, another Jewish teacher for history, who was a card-carrying communist who talked about communism in the yeah, class. Yeah. Now, I welcome both points of view. I like the fact that I heard from Mr. Lerner in junior high school, a very conservative Zionist point of view. I heard from Mert Chernoff in my waning days at Canarsie High School before I left that high school and said, oofa, at schooling. He has certainly spoke with a very communist overview of things and openly did so. I thought that's part of the academic experience that you get exposed to all these things. Yeah. Maybe not as early as I did, but at some no, point. But, but there's a very big difference between someone espousing socialism and someone espousing anti-Semitism. Like one, you know, one is a directed at someone wishing someone harm and describe, you know, whatever, as opposed to someone saying this is a form of government and this is why I think it's good and these are what's bad about it. The challenge that we face now, and you remember that whole thing with Elise Stefanik and other asking those college presidents, they set up a hypothetical that wasn't really. I think people are not marching for genocide against the the the, the Jews that hadn't happened on Penn State's campus on uh, on Penn's campus. But it is does raise the hypothetical. Well, what if someone does do that? I think you absolutely can say advocating for someone else's death is a, is a red line. But in a school setting with a bunch of high school kids, you know, and by the way, this is why I think you have to have as part of the curriculum, you have to have Holocaust studies as part of a curriculum. You have to have true historical studies. A lot of kids I would find, I would frequently be the, be the subject of anti-Semitic, um, graffiti in my office doors. We would never make a big deal about it. We never call the cops. We would never. We would just go clean it because, for the most part, what those kids are looking for is just to get a rise out of me. Now that's much more so today. You know, when you see in these rallies that the guy holding up the swastika in the middle of these rallies is going to be the one where the cameras go to. And I don't know if we do ourselves harm or good by pointing that out. But it's a very difficult problem, and I don't want to give this to, to an individual teacher to have to figure out. I always thought that it was incumbent upon uh, the organizers of demonstrations to marshal their own demonstrations. Agree. To work and infiltrate in and out of the lines. And when um, there were materials that were being held up, because a lot of times people will hide the materials initially in the march, and then they pull it out halfway through the march, and everybody goes, oh! That's not a reflection of our march, but that's why you used to have marshals and they would train in advance the volunteers and they would be responsible for self-policing a demonstration. So you didn't have to depend on the cops because they didn't want the cops to police it. I noticed they don't do that anymore. Well, this is the thing. And this gets back to the earlier point about these rallies being counterproductive. There doesn't seem to be how hard would it to be to put on your posters, cease fire now, release all the hostages. Right. That would be a message that I think that would be broadly supported. Yeah. You release the hostages and you and you 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 lay down your arms, Hamas. Then, yes. OK, the, the, then perhaps the hostilities can end because that's what Israel that Israel's trying to do. But I don't think they have this mission. And also the other thing is 
These people are so ahistorical. They don't seem to understand anything that they're protesting about. They just see harm. They see death. They see despair. And they don't realize that, unfortunately, sometimes you have to kill bad people. And this is what it looks like. Well, speaking of killing bad people, up next we have to discuss the escalation of what has happened in the Middle East and the Persian Gulf as Israel has taken out a high-profile Hezbollah commander in Syria and as a result, there's been an attack on an American base in Iraq, a retaliatory strike. You have the Ayatollahs rattling their sabers uh, in Tehran, Hezbollah threatening, uh, threatening death and destruction, and Bibi saying he's going to double uh, the amount uh, of military force in the Gaza Strip. And, hey, if Hezbollah wants to come across that border with Lebanon, so be it. We'll get it from a guy who has always been... Uh, Said to be a Zionist uh, by friends and foes. Anthony Weiner, yours truly, Curtis Sliwa, on this, your place to be as we go from the local to the regional to the national to the geopolitical international news here as we substitute for Greg Kelly. Greg Kelly, Greg Kelly. on the Red Apple Podcast Network. Back uh, with Anthony Weiner, who for many, many years has been described as a Zionist all through uh, your political years. I think I'm safe to say you continue to be a hardcore Zionist uh, in your years where you're no longer serving uh, in Congress or city council, but uh, obviously on talk radio. So with the escalation of what seems to have transpired in the last 72 hours while people were involved in their Christmas activities, we have Bibi saying, I'm doubling down in Gaza. Israeli forces took out really the number two guy to the Ayatollahs overseeing their many surrogate operations. Uh, I would call him number two to Soleimani that uh, Trump had taken out years ago. And now all of a sudden Hezbollah is saying, we're going to get you, Israel, uh, the Ayatollahs are saying we're going to get you. Uh, some of the surrogate groups, the um, Iranian loyal groups in Iraq, attacked an American base, injuring three. America retaliated. What what happens now, Anthony Weiner? And uh, America is like in bed with Israel the whole nine years. There's no extricating us. Yeah, I mean, look here. The the what Iran has done during this thing has been kind of interesting. They clearly were not involved in – they were not told, they were not informed apparently by Hamas that Hamas was going to do this. And by and large, Hezbollah in the north of, has been not completely quiet, but they have not joined – they have not joined the war. And I think that Iran wants to do everything possible to make trouble for the United States and for Israel, but they don't want to actually have this thing spread either. They want to kind of keep being a pest. And so Biden – and the, and Israel for t- is trying not to overreact. You know, Israel would prefer not to have a two-front war right now. A lot of people speculated after October 7th that that was what was going to happen, how, that Hezbollah in the north um, out of Lebanon was going to make a two-front war out of this. So far, it hasn't been. But that doesn't mean that Iran is not being a troublemaker. And let's be very clear. The real leaders of Hamas are not in Gaza. They're off in, 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 in Qatar. They're in Turkey. They're watching this from the luxury of their very expensive penthouses, um, with all the money that they got from Iran, from Saudi Arabia and these other countries. So 
Israel right now has basically said, and the United States has said, you guys, you take to Iran, you guys stay out of this war. But that doesn't mean Iran is going to be quiet. And I think that, that what has to happen, and remember, we were on the side of the Houthi rebels back when they were fighting against the Saudis. Right. This so so you, there's no permanent interest in that war. There's no permanent friends in that part of the world. It's only permanent interest. I think that Israel has now secured the south of Gaza. They basically dehamasified it. Now they're working in the north. And I think pretty soon what you're going to see is that the that Israel is going to say we are done with our active ground operation, and then it gets really hard because then someone has to decide. All right, who's going to run Gaza? And Iran is going to do everything they can to make that complicated for the United States and for Israel. And and the the thing is, I think I, I know Biden has gotten a lot of, of a lot of criticism. I've been critical of him as well for how they've responded to Iran. But you don't want to expand this into a regional war against Israel. Well, I think also from the Iranians' point of view, the Ayatollahs, they want that nuclear weapon. They know you're a player when you have a nuclear weapon. They saw what happened to Muammar Gaddafi. He gave up his nuclear weapons, and we know there's no more Muammar Gaddafi. Uh, we saw the Ukraine gave up its nuclear weapons after the breakup of the old Soviet Union. They had the third largest nuclear weapon stash in the world. They gave it all up to Bill Clinton at that time, and then he decommissioned uh, those nuclear weapons. So I think the Iranians realized... You're a player, you got to have a nuclear weapon. Israel is poised to try to take out their nuclear weapon capacity. And I'm thinking, they're saying, wait, 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 no, no, no war with Israel because who knows what BB will do. He may try to take out uh, our nuclear weapons development. They've done it in other ways. Let's just keep developing our weapons. Let these surrogates, like you say, like gnats, like mosquitoes, like wasps, like bees keep stinging them, keep distracting them. But if we get into a full-blown war, we know Israel is going to come in and try to take out. This is what BB has always yeah, wanted to do. I know, but this is why, this is the argument for the Iran nuclear deal, is that it Iran was still free to do other stuff, but their nuclear program was put under wraps. Now it's not anymore. But the, you're exactly right. But the the annoy, the thing that the Houthis are doing on behalf of Iran are showing to the Iranian people that the Iranians are still doing stuff without having to do it themselves. You described it exactly right. The Iranians are dispatching these little gnats to get into everyone's hair so they can have an arm's distance from it. This is what Iran has always done. They have surrogates that go out and do this work. They fund the surrogate Hezbollah army. They fund the surrogate Hamas army. The fund, they, fund, well, uh, they, they fund the Houthis. Up next, uh, Anthony Weiner was sending you to St. Croix, Virgin Islands, to sit with President Joe Biden. I have to wake him up first. As he has to decide what he's going to do in the coming year. The Trumpers are flexing out there, and you know what it's like. You battle them every Saturday from 2 to 4 when it's Anthony Weiner at times standing against the Trump world. We'll give a little bit of that to you in the next hour here on The Great Kelly Show.